Welcome to Movie Maniacs, discussing the greatest movies of all time and all the new films in theaters and streaming that you need to know about. Like us, rate us, share us. my co-host Kenny B. This is Movie Maniacs, our weekly radio show podcast heard on WOWO out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, every Saturday night at midnight. This is a program, Ken, as you know, where we speak about anything and everything that pertains to the world of motion pictures and television, uh, a little bit about pop culture, uh, and anything else that uh, is interest to the fanboy crowd out there. Um... I got a chance to see one movie this week's program. We're going to do, uh, last two weeks we did our favorite films, top 10, our favorite, maybe not the best, but our favorite films that we really dig. We first did the decade of the 70s, then we did the 80s. This week we're going to do the 1990s. And Ken, I got to tell you, this was tough because there's so many really good movies in the 1990s. We'll do that in the latter half of the hour program and i hand it off to you ken how are you doing i am doing fine just got back to maryland from a week in pennsylvania spending a week in a hotel room with my cat which was a very interesting uh, experience but remember today uh, we're, we're uh, taping on friday today we do honor the crew of the ss hellman's remember that great uh, tragedy on may 5th several years ago when captain christopher paul bacon and first officer thomas ado uh, went down with their ship after the uh, SS Hellman's hit a giant iceberg lettuce in the Gulf where it was filling up with mayonnaise at the mayonnaise uh, wells in the Gulf. And uh, because of that, of course, we commemorate Cinco de Mayo by having a sandwich of crispy bacon. Is that anything like... Is that anything like um uh, May 4th, the force be with you? Yes, yes. But, you know, crispy bacon and for Christopher Fall... Christopher Paul Bacon, the captain, lettuce, and of course, tomato, along with some mayonnaise. So next week, is the, we'll commemorate when they rose the ship from the bottom of the Gulf. And uh, after a week in that heat, we commemorate Stinko de Mayo next week. So other than that, I'm, I'm great with my annual Cinco de Mayo joke. Very good. Good joke. I'm going to ask you a question. I am going to get Star Wars here. Uh, they re-released... Before we do a little bit box office totals, but they re-released uh, Star Wars: Return of the Jedi. Actually, did five million dollars over the weekend on I think 475 screens. Had a per screen average of almost ten thousand dollars. That was the highest per screen average of any movie released uh, over the weekend. Obviously, there's still a lot of interest in Star Wars. Uh, people, you know, played a lot of Star Wars stuff. I walked in a couple stories to see on the TV. They had Star Wars movies going on may 4th uh, may the 4th be with you here's my questions when you hear star wars if i told you there were star wars movies being uh being planned for the next few years does that excite you anymore yes or no well i think of william shatner and how good he oh wait wait that was star trek oh that was star trek yes, there's, okay. there, there's a there's does a that excite you does that excite you anymore? There, 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 uh, no but there's actually a, a clip on the internet where uh, shatner is supposedly doing a star wars Event and he thinks it's Star Trek, so I was doing that. Uh, now I, you know, I, I, I would m be more excited to tell you the truth. Seeing yeah. the first three, or actually the real, technically the middle three, because they four, five, and six came first. 
I'd be more excited seeing them in a theater than seeing a new Star Wars because, you know, the, it doesn't have any real, to me, any resonance with the Star Wars I knew. The Star Wars I knew was Darth Vader. It was uh, Han Solo. And, you know, it's it, it was Luke and Leia. And, uh, you know, as we get into the other stories, especially as it went on in the 7th, 8th, and ninth installment, they're all new people that I don't relate to. In fact, I probably would see Star Trek first, because at least there, they still, they changed the actors, but it's still Captain Kirk, and it's still yeah. Spock. You know, here's what's interesting, and me and Mike have spoke about this many times, when, when they when they did the, the, uh, the, the Force Awakens, the film that I liked and Mike liked, uh, we both liked it a lot, it was directed by J.J. Abrams, uh, I, I thought it was... I thought it was quite good, to be honest with you. Uh, and I also thought that the, the killing off Han Solo in that movie gave that movie power. Okay, now creatively, in retrospect or in hindsight, as they call it, I look back, and this is a debate that rages on. Did they make miss a massive, massive opportunity when they had the ability to have Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, and Princess Leia all in one movie, and they never went for it? Uh, you never saw those three characters in the same scene. Uh, they didn't use two of the three in the first movie, which is Force Awakens. They teased, uh, they, they teased um, Mark, Mark, Mark Hamill's character for the next one, which is Luke. But was that a missed opportunity that in retrospect in the annals of movie history, we'll look back and say, boy, they blew it, yes or no? Oh, probably, because I, I mean, I always love when I see a, a, a movie where there's a uh, a cameo even of a uh, somebody who had been in an earlier part of the franchise or somebody yeah. that's just famous. Yeah, I, I think so. I think, and it wouldn't have taken a lot, but uh, you know, we we want that continuity. We want that uh, that link. That was my big complaint about uh, watching Maverick Top Gun. That all of a sudden we've got new characters who are coming back to Top Gun school, but we didn't see them when they first went through it, so we didn't know all the backstories that they're assuming we know, and we don't even know about his love life with this lady because he's it's a totally new lady, you know? So, uh, yeah, I think... I still uh, liked it a lot. I know, but, but, we, I we, it. but we like yeah. continuity of characters, and we like to, yeah. to know that oh, those, are, those are the same old characters that we had. Point, point well taken, but I will go back and, and, I, and I say... When you say to people, you know, if they're going to watch Star Wars, I, I still think that the majority are going to put on the first uh, three original films, uh, Star Wars, New Hope, Empire, and Re Return of the Jedi. I think a lot of people m might watch the George Lucas trilogy, uh, but 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 be certainly underwhelmed. And the, the last three, like I said, I like Force Awakens a lot. I like the other two. I'm in the minority. I did like them. But are, these, are those other Force Awakens? Are any of those movies besides the first three original? Are they, is the repeatability factor high? I, I, I don't know. I don't. For me, not not so much. And I think that's ultimately a very uh, very telling factor in the legacy of any film is its re repeatability uh, a, a decade after uh, the, the film came out so we'll, we'll see how that all plays and out and you can't you can't wait a decade or two 
to go from the first three to starting this next installment. You know, we we all knew because it was episode four that we started with. We all knew there was supposed to be a one, two, and three coming, and we learned there was a, six, a seven, eight, and nine coming. But we waited a generation between number six and number one, and I, I think that hurt them too. But I also think, uh, and it was you know, I don't recall the person who said it from from. Uh, uh, the, the the studio, but I think they said that they're going to try to go in terms of Star Wars movies, go more copy uh, a model of, of the Bond franchise, where you're going to see one released every few years, and then they're going to bombard the audience. I, I still a very I'm very mixed on the concept of what they've done with streaming and theatrical, where you try to intertwine both. It, it, it's the Marvel's done this where. You do these TV shows when they're high quality. Don't get me wrong, and there's a lot of money in production uh, behind them. I, I'm not complaining about that aspect, but there's still something where if you have to watch a streaming show to understand certain things in a theatrical film, I just think that's a concept for um, dis- not maybe not disastrous, but it's not something that is usually rolls the right way because I, I think not enough people. Uh, we'll do both. Uh, certain people watch the streaming show and the movie, and certain people just watch the theatrical product and look a little bit uh, as a streaming show, not the same type of quality in terms of what they need to know about the, the arc and the canon of, of the overall picture. So I think Star Wars became too too much, uh, and I think they realize that. And I think if you're going to re- reinvent it, reboot it, reinvigorate it, I think you have to be real careful with the timelines and have something you have to do something very ambitious get the right directors get people who love this concept and not people uh, like Rian Johnson I think he did a good job but he he had a vision he was reinventing the wheel I think too much uh, and that turned off some of the original fans and I, I think they have to give a lot of thought to that stuff hey I'll say one thing was you mentioned uh, James Bond franchise I yeah. watched the first two episodes of Citadel last week, and I yeah, watched okay. the, the whole thing where she was in the FBI. I do think Priyanka Chopra Jonas could yeah. be the next James Bond. I really think she could work she's at good, it. Huh? And, and I mean, and I just wait for now because she's going to then have to have a Bond guy in every uh, episode. Yeah. But those Here, are, here's why I don't think they'll ever go that direction with a Jane, a Jane Bond. I just think it would. Uh, I think it would create ripples of of i want to use the word parody but it would I, I just don't see them going there i mean could 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 you do um a character that's really cool a female character in the same universe set in the bond world yeah i, I you know that's something of all the years they've been doing bonds since the 60s right they've never bounced a side character into a spin-off film yeah. which i actually think is is pretty interesting like why haven't they done that because they clearly could do it yeah yeah, I agree. So let's bounce into some box office totals of interest. Uh, Super Mario Brothers once again, a dominant force at the box office over the weekend. Another forty million in weekend number four. Uh, as we speak uh, in tape, the film's done over five hundred million here domestically, one billion worldwide. This is a big uh, event popcorn movie that they rolled out in the theaters, and it's done extremely, extremely. Well, and then the, the reality is, Ken, this is where you get the studio execs salivating in their office because this is really what they want. They want the billion-dollar blockbuster. Uh, it's the smaller films and the more character-driven ones that they'll 
reduce to an extent now in 2023, uh, but they don't expect a big return as they would with a film like Super Mario Brothers, which has performed exceedingly well. Evil Dead Rise, 12.2 million a week at number two, 50% drop off week to week, which is a good hold, $44 million in 10 days. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, a movie based on a very popular novel of the 1970, uh, 6.8 million. It, they were hoping for 10, it did 6.8. I went to see this because we booked it at the Pocono Cinema, my, me, my wife, and my daughter. I guess I'm not the target audience for this film. Having said that, I did like it. Uh, I, I thought that the uh, I thought that the lead girl in this movie, uh, I thought was really appealing, super appealing actually. Uh, Rachel McAdams did good work, Kathy Bates did good work. I, I will say this, Ken, uh, I have never watched a movie. Well, basically, it's a coming of age story, right? But the heart of the book is about a young girl who's uh, like in between being a young a young girl wanting to be a woman where basically she's waiting the whole movie to get a menstrual cycle and i'll be like i'm sitting there and saying i've never seen a movie where this subject matter is explored for 90 minutes or an hour and 45 minutes but i did like it it was quirky uh it was had some good laughs in it it was a little bit thought-provoking i'm not the target audience having said that i i, I gotta say i did enjoy the movie that uh, sounds very interesting yeah, it, 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 it was, and, and I'm sure it might go over some people's heads, but uh, based on a book, they kept it this time period, 1970, in, in the movie, they didn't they didn't alter it. That's, some people say that's why it affected the box office, but it's stayed true to the resource material, and uh, uh, it is what it is, as I said. Oh, so John Wick 4, another 5 million, 176 million in six weeks of release. The hold on this movie, week to week, dropping off like 20% a week is incredible, meaning word of mouth is really good. The film's almost three hours. So this franchise has been extremely successful. It's reinvigorated in the well-respected canneries in the industry. Now entering the marketplace this week, you got Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I'm gonna go see it tomorrow night. I'll talk about it next week, which is expected to have the second biggest opening of the year. I gotta be honest with you, I don't feel the overall tremendous excitement that I usually do for a Marvel movie. But again, as we spoke, speak about all the time, I think superhero movies in general and Marvel getting a tweak long in the tooth. So uh, some of the excitement edge around the edges might be wearing off a little on this stuff. But I, I still I still am looking forward to uh, see Guardians 3, Ken. I'm still looking forward to the end of this month to see the live action of Little Mermaid. But I noticed that, uh, that Disney is now hedging and whether it's going to do its live action of uh, Moana. Really, and, 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 and uh, here's the thing. Uh, they're probably going to wait for the totals to see where this goes, but it's tracking, from what I read, between 70 and $90 million opening. I think a lot is going to be determined how high the opening goes on the advanced reviews. If this, if this film's good and it gets real, uh, real excitement buzz a week, or two before it's released with good reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. I think the film's going to break 100 million in its opening weekend. I think the, there'll be more than enough interest there. Again, we live in a culture of social media where reviews actually do matter now. It's it's getting it's gotten hard but, to yeah. hide a movie that's not good. Yeah, but I think there is because you know you mentioned John Wick four, and then we'll have John yeah. Wick seventy. John Wick and John Wick seventy three fights Rocky's great grandson and, and <laughs> things like that. But. Uh, 
there's been a backlash. Disney's been getting a lot of feedback from people. We don't want to see live action of the movies that you made as cartoons, as animated. We want to see new stuff. And we do. I'm hoping I'm hoping yeah. that we start seeing some of these, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh sequels bomb. Because I, I was talking to our friend Mark Lipsky about this this week as well. It's they uh-huh. it's too much of the same thing, the same franchise, and uh-huh. uh, then and you know I I think people eventually get tired of it. And I'm wondering if are we developing writers that are going to be able to write anything else, or are they can they only write the the sequels when they already have the characters developed for them? You know that's that's half of the writing. I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate with you for a second because you you've invested in different things before, correct? Correct. Okay, so I'm gonna ask you. You're running a studio. You you are at least you're one of the decision makers sitting in a room with the bean counters, and you have this production budget. And somebody says, Ken, you have uh, 150 to 200 million dollars to produce a movie, right? You could do anything you want. You could take a property and sequelize it. You could, uh, you could, you you could uh, do something within a franchise, a spinoff, or you could do something completely original. Now it's your money. It's your money. Think about it. And I'm just playing devil's advocate. I get, especially in the age of social media, with people with a shorter attention span that we've ever had, I get why they're so gung ho to not get out of the comfort zone of not doing something that has a name title to it. You know, if you go back and you, and you take a movie. I don't think it's on my list, and I think it was in the seven, in the nineties, though. But like, say when M Night Shyamalan first came on the scene, right? And he does the Sixth Sense, and that movie comes out, gets a lot of critical acclaim, makes a ton of money, and it was a completely original concept and project, which is extremely refreshing, right? And you see as time goes on that studios, especially theatrically, get so gung gun shy on taking a shot on doing anything original simply because even the catering bills on these movies cost millions of dollars so it, it's not like they could shoot it, it it's, it's like it's almost hard to shoot a movie for less than a hundred million if it's a studio film yeah and, you know? if, you, so, and if you look it, at it, they're caught in a rut. oh absolutely because if you look at the movies that have bombed financially they have yeah. been original ideas that, and even though they might have big stars mm-hmm. you know, but they've still They've still bombed, and yeah, the easy thing is to just redo the same old thing. But especially when we're talking about Disney, you know, we we all, I think Disney can put out a product, and it's always going to get an audience, a, a children's directed product, and people are just, I think, getting to that point where they're looking for something new from Disney because it's been a while that when we since we've had something really big from them that's been really new. And yeah, what, I agree. And, and, and like you said, Ken, screen. Listen, I'm assuming there's a lot, there's hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of scripts that are probably really good out there, and they just don't have the concept, the, the, the popcorn concept, for the studio to take a flyer. And a lot of these scripts are probably collecting dust, which is sort of sad. And, and again, I, I talked about it on last week's program. You know, when I watched it, the movie Ghosted. On uh, on uh, on Apple, and I'm assuming they've probably spent maybe I don't know fifty to a hundred million dollars to reduce that, and it's it's such fluff. It's so such a throwaway product. I mean, the, I think the script. It, I'm saying it's in all in, in all sincerity. It felt like 
you know, they took a script that was written on a napkin at a lunch meeting and it went into production. I mean, they got two two likable actors for, for, for certain, and, and, uh, and Chris Evans and Anna Diamantis. And, and, you know, they basically, it's just fluff. And it's almost, it's almost, um, I don't want to say it's sad. It's 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 pathetic, actually. Yeah, I can't. You know, there's a, you know, there's thousands of scripts that are twenty times better. Although I gotta tell, I gotta tell you, reading scripts, yeah. um, you know, there's there's thousands of scripts that might be better after they're rewritten, but every True. single script I ever look at is so yeah. trite, so derivative. I mean, I, yeah. I, I read the one the other day, and it, you know, there's a line where the person says, "Oh yeah, you know that book." Purple, uh, Fifty Shades of Purple, and the person says, oh, no, Mom, it's Fifty Shades of Grey. He's like, okay, well, that joke is 10 years <laughs> ten years too too old to even yeah. do it now. And, it's, yeah. and I, you know, one thing is with the writer's strike, one, right, the, you know, the, the person who writes the movie and gets all the credit sometimes ends up having two of their words left in the script, the end. True. By the time... And, and that's true. And that's true. And, and I'm going to bounce into something really interesting about concept okay. in a second. Uh, and then we're going to get to it just later half of the show where our top 10 favorite movies of the 1990s. But you know, Ken, a movie's not sold on, uh, on script initially. It's, it's, it's one or two or, or a group of people walk into a room and pitch a concept to a studio. And they, the first thing they do is they buy the concept and then they say, well, you have a script. Yep. In fact, what you do, it because having... I'm writing a script, and eventually I'm actually going to write it. But what you do is you actually do a one-page concept. You register that with the Writers Guild, so you now own that concept. And that's the thing that you shop, because that's the, the concept is the whole thing. Any, anybody can add the dialogue and stuff to it. Right. And obviously, concepts can be copied. If you look at, uh, if you look at all the diehard ripoffs after... Uh, the original Die Hard, oh, Die Hard came out in 88. You'll come to realize that. But like, I want your thoughts on these two things. Now, we talk about original versus uh, staying with a franchise. I, I, I spoke to a few people about it. They, they sort of find this humorous, but if anybody could do it, they key this guy. Sylvester Stallone, it was reported, is going to do a sequel to his 1993 hit film, maybe his best action film outside of a Rambo uh, Rocky movie in Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger was uh, a big hit in 93, one of the hardest shoots of all time. I mean, they really did the a lot of those mountain stuff. Rennie Holland did a great job on that movie. It was R-rated. Stallone was super good. Janine Turner was good. Uh, John Lithgow was fun as the villain, had some great stunts. Stallone was in his prime in terms of action. I love Cliffhanger. Uh, but when I heard they're doing a sequel to Cliffhanger, I first thing I said to myself, okay, who's financing it? How much money are you going to throw at this? Stallone's 75. Is that believable that he could reprise that character and make it work? Because uh, it's an extensive type of a production. Can you do it cheaper? Is he believable at 75? Um, I don't know. You, you tell me. What do you think? Um, I, I really don't want to see action films with a 75-year-old, uh, because, you know, I, I, I know as a 65-year-old... It is Stallone. It is Stallone. I mean, I don't I know. know but the guy defies time. I know, and I'm sitting there thinking, wow, I wonder if he's wearing Depends. Mm, probably, prob I don't know. I, I, listen, I, I, when I first heard it, I'm like, wow, like, seriously, I was intrigued, but I don't know, the more I think about it, I just... 
I cannot see a, I cannot see a backer throwing and, and to do this right to do a cliffhanger too. You you need 150 million minimum. I just don't see giving Stallone uh, 150 million at, at 75 years old to do a really proper sequel to this movie. But let's see. Now on the on the complete reverse. Now this is what I want to see movies. Ken, this is I love this concept. Jason Reitman, who just did Ghostbusters Afterlife, uh, the son of Ivan, who's done a lot of good work, will helm a project based on the opening night, 1975, of the original airing of the first episode of Saturday Night Live. I love that idea. Why don't they do more movies like this? This is what movies are. This is what movies used to be. This is what movies should be about. This is a great concept. I am completely all in on this. If I was a studio... And I got this pitch. I'd say, let's do it. Yeah, especially especially for all those people that still look at the good old days and say, wow, they'll, they'll never have a cast like the first few years. Yeah, but I mean, if you think about like capturing the moment hours before that originally aired, you know, the egos involved, the the you know the the the, the history, the legacy of this show. I just think it's a great. It's a great uh, concept. I, I want to know more. I certainly would love to uh, know more, and we're going to get it when this movie comes out. A few other things of interest. Uh, Liam Neeson uh, was announced going to do a sequel to Ice Road. Uh, yes, Ice Road. Uh, uh, I don't get it. I mean, it's basically one of his streaming films. I guess it was successful enough on stream that Liam Neeson, who continues to churn out uh, the, these B movies, you know, two or three a year sequel to Ice Road. Did you see the first Ice Road? I saw part of it. I thought it was watchable. I I don't I, think I, I did. I don't think I did. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it sort of is uh, what it what it is. Ridley Scott uh, continues to add to the cast of his Gladiator uh, Two. Denzel Washington, Connie Nelson will come come back. Uh, Paul Massell, who is an up up and coming actor, is going to play the lead in this uh, film. Listen, Gladiator won an Oscar for Best Picture. I think in 2000, terrific movie. Russell Crowe really put Russell Crowe on the map as a household name. Uh, really, I mean, really, Scott's up there now. He's like almost, he's like 80 years old or more. Uh, directing this sequel, still very talented. So, Gladiator Two, we'll see you in the next uh, few years. Ken, thoughts on that one? Um. I, I I guess. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll, we'll 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 see. Another one. Margaret Robbie reportedly has been offered the role of Sue Storm uh, in uh, Marvel's The Fantastic Four. She's already played a super well in the superhero universe of DC, where she played Harley Quinn in the Suicide Squad movies. Actually, she played Harley Quinn in the original and the reboot. Harley Quinn will be played by Lady Gaga in Joker. Two, but uh, Margaret Robbie uh, continues to get uh, the slew of, of parts in the business. She'll be Bobby in this summer's Bobby movie. I, if I was casting, I, I'd go in a different direction because I think she's a little bit overexposed. But I guess I get why they would want to attach a big name actress who's very talented like Margot Robbie to Fantastic Four. Uh, this will be the third incarnation of that property, hopefully. They'll uh, eventually get it right, Ken. And, and I'll tell you something. I'll go see that movie if she is indeed overexposed. Okay, uh, that is a. That, that, let me give me like thirty seconds. I get back to you on, on that joke. Some, okay. Uh, TV okay. News Avengers. 
What, what do you think of this one? Uh, Dancing with the Do you watch Dancing with the Stars at all? I watched a little bit of it. That was the sequel to Dances with Wolves. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. Uh, a very popular variety show on which ran on ABC for well over a decade. They moved it to Disney Plus last year live. It was Disney Plus's first live broadcast event. They're moving it back to uh, ABC this season. I- I'm guessing that uh, nobody really cared on Disney Plus. It's a high-profile concept project uh, that did very well on ABC, so it's going to be moved back to uh, ABC for this. Yeah, you got to wonder. You got to wonder about there the decision because the to me the audience for Dances with the Stars are the very mm-hmm. people who still haven't bought streaming services. You know, it's, Listen, it, I, I still, I think there's still a little bit of viability left in network television. Yeah, and that's that's the kind of show that's shows. viable. Yeah, the yeah. little the little old lady who sits at home and after the after the seven o'clock news or whatever <laughs> six o'clock news and after watching uh, Jeopardy yeah. and the Wheel of Fortune watches Dances with the Stars and watches The Bachelor. I'm gonna go back in time here real quick to just spin off what you just said. This uh, week. In TV history, 1952, I Love Lucy airs its Lucy Makes a Commercial episode, which I think was also called Vita, Vita Mix It or whatever. I don't know how to pronounce Vita Vegemi- it. Right? Uh, Vita, Ve- Vita Vegemi- Vitamin. Yes. Vegemin. Yes. yes. Very good. Okay, listen to this, Ken. 68% of the American public who were watching TV that night watched that episode. Think about the culture in the, in the, in the country. At the, 68%. Incredible. I know there was only three networks, but still, that's incredible. I, I'll bet you 68% of the people today have seen yeah. that episode. Probably. That, that and the one, the, that, the one where she bakes bread, the one where she makes yeah. wine, and the one where she's working in the candy factory. Yes, great, great. <laughs> I mean, listen, great television, very popular. One other thing uh, this week... In uh, history, you will go to movies. 1962, the soundtrack to the movie West Side Story hits the Billboard charts, becomes number one, and runs on Billboard charts for 54 consecutive weeks, becoming the most listened to number one soundtrack more than 20 weeks other than any one that ever became number one on Billboard. So 54 consecutive weeks, West Side Story soundtrack was number one on the Billboard charts. Pretty impressive. Leonard, that is, listen, great soundtrack. Leonard Bernstein and Stephen Sondheim behind the behind the uh, book and the uh, music to that. And, uh, yeah. you know, of course, it, was, what's, it is one of the two greatest um, musical scores of all time. I agree, 100%. Last thing, get your investor uh, cap on. AMC reported this week uh, in its quarterly report, uh, it, it blew past Wall Street expectations in terms of sales, $954 million, although companies still lost $102 million. CEO came out and said they still have to raise capital. That will be an important factor going forward. Boy, Ken, if these companies, I'm, I'm listening, they're doing a lot better. I'm happy. But... If they weren't publicly traded and had the ability to raise capital, uh, what do you think would happen here? Well, the fact that they, I mean, AMC's got $5 billion with a B in debt, yeah. and that's the problem. They have to raise capital to turn that debt into equity because the interest cost on that debt is right. killing them. Um, yes. Uh, again, I still, you know, they, they, still, they still lost money 
per share. And, they still lost money per share. And, and, yeah. and uh, they, they're, they're going to lose money for the whole year, and they're still behind 2019. And I still think it's a very cheap takeover target for somebody who wants to integrate such as a streaming service. I don't disagree. One last thing before we bounce into our top 10 movies in the 1990s. Uh, it's being reported that Yellowstone, uh, the very, very popular uh, uh, Taylor uh, Sheridan TV show on Paramount Plus, will end after season five this year. Kevin Costner will be written out uh, of the show, and they're going to reboot it with uh, now in negotiations, which seems like it's going to happen. Matthew McConaughey will take over this universe and the spinoff show uh, that will bring a lot of the characters from Yellowstone into the fold. Uh, I hate to hear uh, all the, the just the bad blood between uh, Sheridan, the actors, and, and Costner, Kevin Costner's wife. I guess filed or had it you know, got it approved, divorced this week. So Costner's, you know, whatever's going on in his personal life, I don't know. I don't know him, but um, you know, we we talked about this before on the show. You know, maybe Costner just didn't expect the show to become as popular and last as long, and he, he wanted out anyway. But uh, you know, it's sort of a bummer to hear something that's done so well uh, and in this fashion. It be, but it became a soap opera because, first of all. Costner was totally blindsided by his wife filing for divorce. And now there's rumors that he got somebody pregnant on the uh, set of Yellowstone. He claims that he's never cheated. And so, yeah. um, you know, that, it's it's never a good thing for a, no. uh, a series to have that kind of stuff going on. So I look yeah. forward to the reboot. And if they bring some of the leading stars of that series back, they don't need Kevin Costner. Well, Matthew McConaughey's going to be a, a pretty, pretty excellent uh uh, shoe and I think he would fit that series like a uh, perennial glove so that's good let's bounce now into our our favorite me and Ken Kenny B and, and Chuck Curry's favorite movies that we like from the 1990s now in, in just in, in full disclosure Pulp Fiction Forrest Gump uh, some other big ones and on, on, on my list because I not that they're not great movies because I think they are great movies but these are movies that I enjoy have read repeatability ones that I say hey I really personally dig this stuff I recommend it if you haven't seen these films from the uh, 90s. I'm going to let you start, Ken, with your 10 through uh, 6. Okay, and again this week, I did one per year. Number 1 comes from 1990, or number 10 comes from 1990. And that's an obvious one. It's based upon the Roy Orbison song, Oh Pretty Woman. It is Pretty Woman. It's probably one of the three or four best romantic comedies of all time, if not Mm -hmm. the best. And uh, I, I especially love it because... The next time these two would get together, that of course being Richard Gere and Julia Roberts, would be when they would do nine years later. They do Runaway Bride, which is uh, was filmed in nearby Berlin, Maryland. Right. Here and actually, the one little soda fountain which uh, appears in the uh, in in the movie is up for sale. Uh, Chuck, I think it's a place for you to come and sell ice cream. But that's my number. Oh, cool. That's my number ten. Pretty Woman. My number nine from 1999, uh, to me, one of the best movies of the last 25 years. It, um, Mark Lipsky asked me the other day who I thought the great actors of all time were, and we were trying to think of who's a great actor today, and of course, the one name that came up was Mr. Tom Hanks, and The Green yeah. Mile from 1999, I think was one of his best performances. I, I love that movie on so many levels because... 
It's a supernatural movie. It's a movie about racism. It's a movie about hope. It's a movie about loss. And, uh, you know, The Green Mile, to me, uh, I, I didn't know what it was going to be before I saw it. I thought it was just going to be a, uh, you know, sort of a, a drama about uh, life in prison. And, uh, you know, to me, it, that movie is just, is just so good in so many ways. So that's number nine is uh, The Green Mile. Number eight from 1998. Got to get my papers here because I'm going backwards here. No, num okay. no, number eight from 1998. I number uh, that's why I numbered. I, I'm going with the primary colors only because okay. only because with it was in fact a fairly true story. The book of the Clinton campaign, and they turned it into a very funny movie. You had some uh, good performances by. Travolta and Emma Thompson, Billy Bob Thornton, anything Kathy Bates is in, she does well. I, I enjoyed the movie. It was a fun movie, and, you know, it came out around the same time as we were doing the impeachment stuff. Yes. So it was yes. a perfect timing. My, my number seven is from 1997. You know how sometimes we remember movies because of something in our life? Well, I was carrying, yeah. I was carrying a couple bags of fertilizer, I think, or maybe it was soil into my okay. garage right. and I stepped on a skateboard somebody had left there and you might know what happens when you step on a skateboard when you're not looking you end up going up in the air com then completely horizontal to the ground and then you hit the cement pretty hard and I actually went to see the full Monty after doing that I really enjoyed the movie the Vicodin I was taking might have helped but now I, I really love the full Monty they made it into a great musical uh, a few years after that, but yeah, it's one of those films that, uh, having spent three years in England, I really enjoyed it, and it was nice to see women sexually exploiting men, but it dealt with subjects like unemployment and despair, father's rights, depression, even impotence and homosexuality, body image yeah. from a male perspective. Yeah. Great, great movie. And my number six from 1996, uh, one of my favorite disaster movies because it's really a love story that's tied around a disaster movie and of course it's bill paxton and uh, helen hunt and it is twister which i i've really i've always enjoyed that movie so those are the first five of my 10 for the 1990s a great decade yeah really good picks you know twister when i did a revival of it a few years ago i was doing some reading on the back story aspect of it in in retrospect i'm super happy that bill paxton got that lead role because i thought he was terrific you know paxton was known for a lot of side characters goofy funny like in aliens and, and uh weird 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 science and predator too but he got the lead because you know tom they wanted tom cruise and and i think tom hanks and they both were close to doing it and then wound up backing out of the project and uh i i think uh i think it was cruise who or Hanks had knew Bill Paxton well and suggested him to the producers and they won with Paxton but that was a great a really good pairing in Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt good 10 through 6 here's my 10 through 6 Ken uh, number 10 went with Tremors because it's just a fun movie that has lasted generationally uh, I think it's a uh, I think it's a B classic film Kevin Bacon Fred Ward I remember seeing this opening weekend at theaters the audiences had a really good time of it it's basically a monster movie with two really good actors and Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward I still enjoy watching the heck out of this movie today my number 9 Jerry Maguire from 96 
this is a great pairing of Tom Cruise, Renee Zellweger. I never thought she was any better. She was great in this movie, just super appealing. And I think of all the Tom Cruise movies, and he's done so many good ones, I think this might be still my favorite, directed and written by Cameron Crowe, Cuba Gooding Jr., uh, won, the, won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. This is a terrific movie from beginning to end, highly involving, funny, interesting, good concepts, a sports agent aspect is a really interesting subject matter for film. So I love this movie. Number eight, I went action. I went with The Rock from 96, Michael Bay's movie with Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage. I love those two characters. It was a great pairing. And beside Die Hard, which I do believe to this day still is the best pure action movie ever produced, The Rock from 96 is a very close second. This is great filmmaking. By any genre standards, The Rock is a great movie. That's my number eight. My number seven, I went with The Green Mile also. Uh, I, and again, when I walked, walked in, I wasn't sure what to expect. It's, it's very diverse in its genres, this movie, because it does deals with supernatural, and you don't expect that in a Tom Hanks movie. But what a cast. What a great movie. Michael Clark Duncan, tremendously uh, likable and a great connector to the general audience. So Green Mile's terrific, number seven. And my number six, I went with the sports film Rudy from 93, Sean Astin, the everyday guy. I just thought he was awesome in this movie of Rudy Rudiger, uh, a high school kid who had a dream of playing for Notre Dame despite the fact that he was undersized. Uh, this movie shows tremendous heart, like the character. Ned Beatty, a great actor, maybe did his best work. Charles S. Dutton, simply awesome. I, I think he could have won an Oscar. He was that good in this movie. But Rudy is one terrific sports film, like Hoosiers, directed by the same person. A great movie. So that is my 10 through 6, Ken. Yeah, and I'll always have my Michael Clark Duncan moment. You were there for it, in fact, when uh, I was doing comedy and we had a guest comedian, uh, Akba, I think was his name. And I he, yeah. he told a joke that it, and was you know basically the first time he had sex was with his uh. wife on his wedding night. And I said, hey, we got, as he was walking down the aisle, I said, hey, Akba, we have something in common. First time I had sex was, was, was with your wife. And this guy looked like he was about the same yeah. size, too. He turns around, starts walking towards the stage, and I thought I was yeah. dead. But uh, and one thing about the 1990s, and we'll see by my, my top five, the 19, yeah. early 1990s may have been the golden age of animation because some of the best animated films ever came out in a very short period of time. And one of them was in 1995, and it was Toy Story. Uh, a great, great movie. Uh, you know, it's still with us today. And I, I mean, you had Hanks, you had Alan, you had Don Rickles doing voices. But the thing about Toy Story is, you know, when you talk about movies having a lasting appeal, now that was in 1995. Easter, I'm at, I'm at Easter brunch at the zoo with my grandson, who will be two in another month. He's carrying a Buzz Lightyear toy. And he's two. So this wow. movie, through its franchise, and, and but mm-hmm. the Light, Light Year was a great movie. Uh, it has really, it, it stayed with us. It's, it's had great, you know, there's great uh, adult themes in this about yeah, loss and moving 100%. on and everything else. And so yeah. it's a, just, just a great movie. And uh, I really enjoyed Toy Story. And it's one of those franchises I've actually enjoyed some of the ones after that as well. So my number five from 1995 is Toy Story. Good pick. My number five is from 96. I went with 
the American president, directed by Rob Reiner. To me, Michael Douglas playing the the president of the United States is a perennial what I'd like to see the president of the United States be. It's just a great, talk about scripts, Ken. This is a great script. Has great actors. Uh, Michael Douglas, Annette Bening, their chemistry and pairing is really good. Martin Sheen, pre-West Wing, terrific. Michael G. Fox, Samantha Mathis, just a fantastic, fantastic cast with a lot of thought-provoking uh, subject matter about the country and the culture. But boy, Michael Douglas in that decade was like, there was there was no equal. He owned... Uh, he owned the, the 90s and I, and I love this movie great direction by Rob Reiner and you know the sad reality is Ken, they're not making movies like this then they should and they need to and, and, and it's a terrific movie that's my number 5 and, and, and because you know it is in, it's, it's in the romantic melodrama category maybe a little more than pure romantic comedy but they're not they don't make movies like that because no, if you made it today we would have to have somebody blowing up the White House <laughs> you know, yeah, because yes. that's, that's I, agree. What, I would agree. My my number four, maybe the second best animated movie of all time, The Lion King. I'd argue that when it, you know we talked about the soundtrack from West Side Story. If you want to talk about a soundtrack from an animated movie, there is none that is better than The Lion King. It helped to have uh, you know they they had some really talented people working on the music they had great people you know yeah elton john and tim rice so tim rice of course did a lot of work with uh andrew lloyd weber including things like the phantom of the opera elton john was great with his composition the people you know james earl jones you get you don't he he's the perfect guy for an animated film because his thing is his voice but to me just one of those movies that it was a little bit more scary and adult than your typical uh, Disney movie. It was much better, I think, animated than it was live. But to me, uh, it was just a it was a hit on every every uh, level, and the music was unparalleled for a uh, for a, an animated film. So, Lion King from nineteen ninety four is my number four. It also it also won a Golden Globe for best motion picture musical or comedy so they actually recognized the 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 talent and the effort that goes into animation yes and as i was going to say when i used to do a lot of these lists with mike uh rags i never put animation on my list i just i like it but don't love it enough to put it on my top 10 list so but good pick my number four i I went with jurassic park from 93 because to me this is a groundbreaking film in terms of event like and, and I've stated so many times on this program that you know the greatest movie going experience I've ever had was seeing this movie in New York City at the Zigfield. Me and Mike, eleven hundred and fifty people sell out. Four o'clock in the afternoon, went back at midnight. Just it, the electricity, Ken, was like watching a World Series uh, against Mets Yankees in, in New York City. It was that literally electric, groundbreaking, or inspiring. I love me some Sam Neill as Dr. Alan Grant and. And, and uh, Jeff Goldblum is Ian Malcolm. I'll never forget that experience on opening day watching this movie. It delivered in spades, and uh, it'll always be in the in the annals of my mind between my ears of, of, of something very special for me. So that's my number four. My number three, I've, I've had this on lists before. 
I had a lot of Robin Williams last week. Have him back today from 1993. One of these movies, I can remember going to see this with my kids. They loved it. Um, you know, Robin Williams, Sally Field, Pierce Brosnan doesn't win the lady. Harvey Fierstein, Harvey is just fantastic. And, uh, you know, Mrs. Doubt, Doubtfire. And the thing I love about Mrs. Doubtfire is he doesn't end up coming back romantically with his ex-wife. But they end up, you know, working working in accommodation with each other, which is more realism than you normally see in the movies. It's number 67 on the AFI's list of uh, 100 laughs. I think it could even be higher, but it's, uh, was it, hey, $441 million on a $25 million budget. Not yeah. bad. Mrs. Doubtfire. They shot that movie for $25 million. Chris Columbus, who did Home Alone, and he wrote the original script. The Gremlins directed that movie, wrote it, and uh, and I do agree with you. What makes that movie really good is that it takes a very realistic, almost subtle sadness approach to that couple's divorce and fracture in the family setting. Uh, and I think that that's what gives us, gives that movie, despite despite the fact it's. It's extremely funny because Robin Williams is brilliant in that movie, but it has a underlining tone of realism, and that's what I think gives that movie an extra power to, to it. I like that movie tremendously. My number three, I went with Silence of the Lambs from 91, uh, a, a genre groundbreaking film with two iconic performances by Jodie Foster and uh, Anthony Hopkins. To me, this movie, like a fine wine, gets better and better and better decades later it was great in its original uh year it came out but it continues just to be one of the iconic films of all time and anthony hopkins is just amazing in this movie so i had to put it in my top 10 of the 90s and i have to say every one of your movies other than tremors was was a movie that i almost picked for mine for for the years they're in because this is one thing where i i love all the movies you usually it's not the case, but I actually have to say I, I love them all. Number number two, my, my kids love this movie. Um, it, they did a sequel to this movie. They did a live uh, stage show of this movie. Disney Plus is doing a third film in this franchise. Uh, it's the only thing I've ever seen uh, Whoopi Goldberg in that I've liked her. Okay, maybe I like uh, Ghost. I guess it's the Ghost. She was okay. But uh, Sister Act from uh, 1992. Uh, just, okay. just a great, a fun film. It was and, fun. It made some, a lot of money too. Yeah, well, at thirty-one million dollar budget, two hundred thirty-one million dollars gross. Pretty good. Not bad. Uh, and I got a like, quick question before I, I move on to my number two and number one. How were they able to make movies for twenty-five and thirty million dollars in the nineties, and, and now that's the that's the that's the uh, the catering bill? I, I just don't understand. Where it's gone so far out of whack with the uh, the, the I know the dollar doesn't buy what it used to, but you're, you're talking about shooting movies. You're getting five or tenfold on your investment uh, now. If you get a double, you're lucky, and that's saying a lot. But you, you could probably you could probably make Sister Act for twenty five million today because it's not you CGI. You, you would think you could. I don't but, know if you could. But the though. problem is they're not making those movies. They're making the yeah. ones that have to be expensive. Yeah. Uh, my number two, I, I went with Titanic. I still think it's is it maybe the best movie uh, uh, right there, released since uh, '97. That won an Oscar for best picture. Um, I saw this movie 
uh, seven consecutive weekends. To me, uh, being a fan of the Beside Adventure, just was such an enjoyable movie on two levels. Obviously, you said it's a love story, disaster element come together perfectly as they merge in the second half of the film. Cameron is a brilliant filmmaker, never better than when he did Titanic. And DiCaprio was never more appealing for me on film than he was in this film. So it's a no brainer. My number one's a special movie, but Titanic right there is my number two. Well, you don't like an animated, so you're not gonna like my number one, but it came from 1991. Probably the greatest animated movie ever made. A movie that I actually did like the live-action remake, and you know, as much as you you went to see Titanic seven weekends in a row, mm -hmm. well, I've seen the stage version of Beauty and the Beast at least eighteen times, including wow. including ten of them on Broadway. But Beauty and the Beast, great score, great story, uh, great voicing, and uh, you know, I, I roll it into with the you know the the, the live-action one was great as well. But part of that golden age of those. Uh, those animated features, 1991's Beauty and the Beast was my number one. It actually was my, even even though I do these in chronological order, it is my favorite movie of the 1990s. Okay, and I, I do agree. I do think of the live action remakes, Beauty and the Beast is the best, is the best one. My number one, I went with the Shawshank Redemption, uh, released in 94, same year as Forrest Gump, which won the Oscar for Best Picture. Very good movie. and. Uh, Paul Fiction, very good, very great script and a very good movie. But to me, Shawshank Redemption is special. Frank Darabont directed this movie. It's based on a short story by Stephen King. It's just, a, it's a great script. It's great acting. Uh, every frame of this movie, like The Godfather, works. It has a massive repeatability factor. I could, if you said it again, let's sit down and watch the Shawshank Redemption tomorrow or in five minutes, I could do it. Uh, it's just one of those movies I never get tired of. Morgan Freeman uh, it, it, it's, it's just, you know, great in that movie and uh, it, it's just Tim Robbins also. Just a great pairing. Great pairing. Uh, I, lo I love Shawshank Redemption. So, to me, as much as I love Titanic, I had to put Shawshank Redemption as my number one. And the amazing thing about that, when we were talking earlier about you come up with a concept and then you write a script around it, the concept to that movie, you'd look at and you'd go, uh, okay. Because the the beauty of that movie is in the dialogue and the development. The concept oh, itself is pretty simple, but it's a movie that... I agree. The, the, only way you can enjoy, the only way you can judge that movie is to actually see it, because... You, it's what what they did with that concept was amazing, including you know the the suicide of somebody who comes out of prison and really can't yeah. live on their own outside the prison system. And it, then, and, then, and the very end scene is just it's an iconic piece of filmmaking when the camera uh, pans pans up and the pairings it's, it's it's great. So and you know you can never really class you can never really scientifically prove can the concept of true movie magic when it all comes together, why it comes together, how it comes together. But in this case, it all came together. And a movie that starts off uh, with a little bit of uh, a little bit of awareness when it comes out and then just explodes in the years after. That's a great movie. I agree. Hey, it's been fun. Uh, Ken, uh, I had a good time. Next week, maybe we'll do... 2000 to the audience. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. Have a great one, Ken. Bye, Chuck. Thanks for listening 
to Movie Maniacs. Download one of our archived episodes. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts by Federated Media.